The mainstream media is going into ecstasies about a virtual graduation speech given by Barack Havana or O'Hara or Osama. It's hard to remember his name now that his political legacy has been atomized and blown to the four corners of the earth by the winds of history, leaving only a sad and pathetic half-memory of an overpraised incompetent who was forced to resort to exacerbating racial tensions to distract from his failures, and then seems to have misused the intelligence and law enforcement communities to spy on Americans and poison the peaceful transfer of power, thus betraying the deepest values of our republic. What was I saying? Oh yeah, what a great speech he made. Speaking in a digitally altered voice while standing in an undisclosed location wearing a fake mustache on his computer-scrambled face, Obama delivered the inspiring message while federal agents raided several of his known hangouts without success. Obama said, quote, and this is a real quote, this pandemic has fully finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge, unquote. Scholars are debating whether this confusing, not to say illiterately blithering sentence, was a reference to The Wizard of Oz, in which a curtain is pulled back to reveal that a powerful and respected leader is really just a sad, pathetic, and overpraised incompetent whose political legacy has been atomized and blown to the four corners of the earth by the winds of history. Or it may have been a reference to the veil that was torn from the Jerusalem temple after the crucifixion of Jesus so that people were allowed direct access to the presence of God, though Obama remained a pathetic incompetent. Mainstream media journalists, however, declared the remark was an attack on Donald Trump and then smiled to themselves, quietly dreaming about those bygone days when anyone cared what they thought. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, best comment on uh, my YouTube channel, Andrew Clavin YouTube channel from Luke Salazar uh, on Friday have sent a reminder to you, Mr. Clavin, there are several E's in Jeffrey Epstein. And that is not, by the way, a coincidence. I mean, that's an obvious thing. By the way, you want to go to the Andrew Clavin YouTube and subscribe. We've got 38,000 subscribers. If you want to save the Clavin, we need 40,000 subscribers. So please go on and subscribe. Subscribe my intros. The, the uh, comic thing I did do at the start of the show, those are put on there full time. Sometimes they're cut up when they put them on the Daily Wire because they're embarrassed by me. But, but we'll give them to you whole on the YouTube channel. So... Over the weekend, George Soros-backed left-wing hate group Media Matters unleashed an attack on our guys Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, and Matt Walsh, calling them anti-trans. Now, first of all, let me just say that I feel very left out of this attack. I did not put all this effort into becoming a hateful human being just to have Media Matters overlook me. It's, it's Dr. Evil, not Mr. Evil. Thank you very much. Anyway, Media Matters went after Ben, Matt, and Curly Joe because of their comments on a lawsuit by the Alliance Defending Freedom that seeks to prevent males who feel like they're females from competing in female sports. This is a case in Connecticut. Our Daily Wire guys objected when the judge, well known for going easy on sexual predators and worse, and I'll talk about that in a sec, the judge demanded that the ADF lawyers stop referring to the transgender females as male athletes. That was now what's called misgendering. The problem here is not specifically about transgender people or about sports. I think it's unfair for biological men to ruin women's sports, but that's not the point. The question is whether anyone has the right, even a judge, 
to dictate to others how they view and describe reality? And spoiler alert, the answer is no, they don't. I have nothing but sympathy for transgender people, truly. We don't know why transgenderism happens. We don't know if it's a psychological issue, if there's a physical component to it. But your gender is central to your identity. And if you feel you're in the wrong sex body, that's got to be hugely painful. And it's not for me to say how you should handle that. Maybe psychiatry, maybe surgery, maybe you just tough it out. I have no no way of knowing what the best thing to do is. But your personal comfort can't depend on my being forced to lie about what I believe. That can't be. Misgendering is a nonsense word. It's meant to demonize an opinion that the left disagrees with. Calling transgender females male is scientifically accurate and reasonable, and forcing people not to do that makes it impossible for them to make their argument, especially in court. Despite what George Soros and his Stalin youth groups like Media Matters want or think, issues in a free society have to be settled by open debate. And you can't have open debate by silencing people, and you can't have it, Media Matters, by deplatforming the opposition. And by the way, it won't make anyone feel better if people are forced to lie about who they are. You'll know we're lying to you, so what's the point? All right, I'm going to talk about more, uh, more about this in just a sec, but uh, first I want to talk about ebb sleep. As you know, I do not like drugs in, in any kind. I barely take aspirin. Uh, I would never take a sleeping pill, but I, since I don't sleep, it's not a problem. But for those of you who want to sleep, I know some of you have this kind of, it's like a fetish. You want to sleep. Ebb sleep is a way to get to sleep without using drugs. It's the first and only wearable drug-free solution that targets the root cause of sleeplessness, sleeplessness, which is your racing thoughts, the fact that you can't calm down. Ebb is clinically validated. Four out of five users report falling asleep faster and improving overall sleep quality. Ebb sleep is a wearable solution that fits over the forehead and gently and precisely cools the forehead to reduce those racing thoughts to allow people who are suffering from sleeplessness drift more comfortably into a, a deeper, more rest- restorative sleep. I used it. I tried it out, and it didn't make me sleep because you'd have to hit me over the head with a mallet to make me sleep. But it did give me this kind of daisy, slower way of being. And I'm sure if I slept, it would have uh, helped me sleep. Ebb Sleep understands the uncertainty you may be experiencing at this time, and you want, it wants to help. Our listeners can save 25 bucks off your order by using promo code CLAVEN to save and continue to try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for at tryab.com slash CLAVEN. Let us help you get the sleep you need and remove the risk from your purchase. That's T-R-Y-E-B-B dot com slash CLAVEN. Triab.com slash Claven and use promo code Claven to save. Order today with everything going on. You want to get the sleep you need and deserve. And while you're sleeping, dream about me staying awake and think to yourself, how do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no All right. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been talking a lot. I've talked a lot about the fact that when you have these kind of crises like the Chinese virus, uh, that the personality comes out. And it's really important that we remember who does what in a period of crisis, because crisis is revealing, and it's really important to remember, people are not going to, everybody's predictions aren't going to be right. That's not the importance. How people behave and what they adhere to, and who wants to make you follow things that aren't true, and who wants to bury stuff in the memory hole. This is really important, because by remembering who did what, you know, I mean, we, we got so much information coming in that we forget who depends on us to forget. In this case this that we're talking about, this Connecticut case, where they're suing to make sure that guy, people, guys who are uh, genetically guys can't compete in women's sports, because these women, you know, these girls, they they take a lot, make a lot of sacrifices. They work incredibly hard. They have the right to compete against other girls in a fair way. It's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous, but that's not the point. The point is this judge, Penny Nance at the Federalist, comes after this judge, the judge who said these guys couldn't use the wrong gender, 
supported this guy. This is a guy named Michael Ross, who was put to death in Connecticut for murdering eight women, raping and murdering women as young as girls, as young as 14. He was put to death. He said he didn't want to uh, appeal anymore because he hated death row. He was ready to be put to death. And this judge, uh, Chatigny, his name is, uh, let me make sure I've got his name right, Robert Chatigny, C-H-A-T-I-G-N-Y, supported him. Here's a quick tape of this serial killer, Michael Ross, cut 19. Well, I'm a serial killer. I've killed eight women, six in this state and two in New York. Serial killers like to strangle their victims, and that is, I guess, the most common form of killing because there's more of a connection there. It's more real, and it's not as quick. And this this judge, who didn't want people to use the wrong gender term, didn't want people to use the wrong pronoun, called up the lawyers who were saying he doesn't want to appeal anymore, and he said this guy should never have been convicted. This guy confessed that he would have killed more if he hadn't been arrested. He never should have been convicted, and sexual sadism is clearly a mitigating factor. This is the guy that Media Matters is supporting instead of Ben Shapiro with his family who goes home to his family and (laughs) worships his God. This is what Media Matters supports, and they depend on you not knowing. They depend on your ignorance, and that's what I want to look at today is who's depending on ignorance, who's depending on the memory hole to push their agenda and who is at least trying to tell the truth as best they can. And that, by the way, Media Matters is payback for you're not mentioning me when you're calling out people for being hateful. So, you know, this is another thing that is happening, uh, you know, is is this 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 thing with uh, social media that Donald Trump recently tweeted, he said, the radical left is in total command and control of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Google. The administration is working to remedy this illegal situation. And this comes amidst a report from the Wall Street Journal that the U.S. Justice Department is drafting a lawsuit against Google, claiming that the internet giant is violating antitrust laws. Now, Facebook has now appointed a new oversight board, and our friends at Newsbusters tell us that it's just filled with anti-Americans. It's filled with people. It's it's, fifty. 15 of the 20 board members are from outside the United States, so they don't have our commitment to the First Amendment. Some of them are supporters of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. There's one guy who's a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. So th- there's that woman who uh, made the, Pamela Carlin, who made the joke about uh, President Trump's son. Remember when she was testifying, she made some joke about Barron and all this stuff. So, you, you know, you got to remember, you got to pay attention to the people who want free speech and the people who don't and the people who support the people who are selling fear now as we move to reopen. You know, I wrote a column over the uh, weekend for The Daily Wire saying I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, you've heard me say this. I think, you know, we're going to reopen. I think we're going to come back. Uh, and I think that the thing is, when you sell fear, when you sell catastrophe, ultimately, you'll be right. There will always be a catastrophe. And people say, wow, what a seer he was. Oh, Bill Gates, he saw the pandemic coming. But they don't count all the times when there was no pandemic and you were wrong. And you said, oh, there's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be a pandemic. And you were wrong all those days. And you wasted all those days trying to inculcate fear. Optimists are going to be wrong eventually because catastrophes will come. And they're going to say, well, tomorrow the chances are things are going to be good. But they're right most days. They are right most days. And I'm looking at what's happening and the way this has been covered. And uh, on the left and the right, there's been, been some bad stuff on the left and the right, but this is not a scandal. This has been a crisis. This is not a scandal. The scandals are all local. Because Donald Trump did the right thing, because he supported federalism, all the scandals are local. Is it 
the depression. Remember who told you it's going to be a depression. Remember who told you this is a disaster. So many people are out of work. It's like the depression. Well, it's like the depression, but if it's like the depression for six months, that's not the same as being like the depression for 10 years, right? It's very different. Right now, we've got stocks are rallying uh, because there's a lot of hopeful new um, uh, research into vaccines. And that would be amazing if we got the first coronavirus vaccine out of this. I mean, I'm just talking about good news. I know people have died and I know people are suffering. I'm not uh, minimizing that. But if we got a first coronavirus vaccine out of this, this could end up with like curing the common cold, which is also a coronavirus. The chief economics commentator, Greg Ippett, the Wall Street Journal, says there are signs the economic contraction caused by the pandemic, which is the steepest since the Great Depression, has bottomed out and a tentative recovery may be underway. Though government data show record monthly drops in retail sales and manufacturing production in April, in a fast-changing environment, new trends often appear first in private daily and weekly data. And although they are less reliable and comprehensive than government figures, these figures are showing some signs of a turning point. For for example, people are traveling more. There's more map requests. Uh, There's more signs uh, that... um, There's more signs that there's demands by customer, customer demands. Some companies are also reporting a turning point. Uber technology said rides had risen for three straight weeks. We could come out of this. I think we are going to come out of this. I think by 2022, at least, we'll be back into new uh, territory. So who's pushing fear? Who is pushing fear? Let's start with Jake Tapper, who has really lost it. He has really gone off. the. I think Obama, I think Obama gate, by the way, is sending a lot of these people around the bend. I'll talk about Obama gate later. Jake Tapper is interviewing uh, Health Secretary Alex Azar, and this is cut number eight, and basically saying, this is a disaster, we've done worse than anybody else, and Azar saying, no, that's just not true. We have more, you know, we have almost 90,000 Americans who are now dead because of this. I don't think that this is anything to celebrate, how oh, we handle this as a country. Jake, you can't celebrate a single death. Uh, every death is a tragedy, um, but the results could have been vastly, vastly worse. Um, it's also important to remember, Jake, as we as but we it's face worse it, for us than it is for anyone else. No, that's actually not factually correct. When you look at mortality rates, that's simply not correct as a percent of diagnosed cases, Jake. Um, that every death I'm is just tragic. At the number of dead bodies. Every, every every death is tragic, but we have maintained our health care, our health care burden within the capacity of our system to actually deal with it. This is the thing. The uh, real clear uh, politics has been keeping track of the numbers. And you have to remember, the numbers aren't that good. The numbers are not that good. We don't know how many cases there are. We don't know. We can't tell the death rate. But the U.S. has a similar number of confirmed cases, uh, confirmed cases of this uh, Chinese flu per million people as some of the hard-hit European countries. But it has a fatality rate that's under 6% compared with 14% in Italy, 15% in France, and 16% in Belgium. And again, these numbers are in flux because we don't have the testing to know how many people have it. So the, the death rate, if the death rate is, uh, fatality rate is 6%, that's a disaster. But obviously, as we test more and we learn that more people have this without any symptoms, that rate could easily go down. Even even the Democrat governor, Jared Polis of Colorado, says he's rejiggering the count of how many cases there are because and, and how many deaths there are because they have been counting people who died of other causes as having died of the Chinese virus. He's cut 18, Governor Polis. These are deaths that should not be politicized. Uh, the CDC criteria 
include anybody who has died with COVID-19. What the people of Colorado and the people of country want to know is how many people died of COVID-19. In our state, about 900 have died from COVID-19 on their death certificate or from the attending physician. About 1,100 have died with it. That Those 200 in the middle, it might have been a contributing factor, but it wasn't deemed the sole factor or the only factor in their death. So again, remember, you know, who's who? Why, why is Jake Tapper, a guy who's a journalist, he's supposed to know? He didn't ask him. He didn't ask the health secretary who should know how our numbers were. He declared that our numbers were worse than anybody else. Plus, that means that he's taking China's numbers seriously, which isn't even journalism. Taking China's numbers seriously is just fantasy land. You know, there's nothing in China. You know, China never tells the truth about anything. They never tell the truth about anything. So why should he do that? So it's the thing. The thing is, we've got to remember the stuff. We've got to remember, uh, you know, what, what I th- think is wrong is remembering, oh, I predicted something. I know I make jokes about this because I do, do predict almost everything. And you do get tomorrow's news today on the show. It's amazing how right I've been for the last two or three years. It is. It's incredible. However, however, I can get it wrong, too. The future is not ours to know. I mean, as the great philosopher Doris Day, great German philosopher Doris Day said, uh, Doris Day, we call it. Um, you know, the future is not ours to know. People are going to get the future wrong. That's not the thing. How do they get it wrong? Do they get it wrong the same way all the time? Are they constantly selling fear? Are they constantly selling negativity? Do they sell fear when it's when it affects Democrats one way and Republicans another way and then do the reverse? That's that's what we see a lot of right now. I mean, I keep talking about the Tara Reid thing, not meaning that Biden is guilty, just saying they covered this differently than the Kavanaugh story. And that tells us everything we need to know when we go back and see how they cover Obamagate, how they cover the flu. These are the things you have to pay attention to. You know, one of the things has been this whole thing about testing and testing was slow to ramp up because of FDA regulations. Our, our super regulated, overregulated society had a hard time getting these tests in place. But Cuomo says things have gone pretty well. This is cut 17 is Andrew Cuomo in New York. We have more sites and more testing capacity than we're using. OK, that's a good problem. But that is the next from hurdle to hurdle, right? Stone to stone. Yeah, I see it more like from hurdle to hurdle down the track. Now we have more testing capacity and more sites than we're actually using. We have driving sites that can do 15,000 per day. We're doing about 5,000 per day. So this is, you know, this was a headline in the Washington Post. Uh, There are tests out there, but people, you know, more tests than people need. So watch this story vanish, like the ventilator story. Remember when it was a crisis with the ventilators? Trump wasn't getting out enough ventilators, and then it turned out, oh, no, we had enough ventilators. Well, now it's a, a problem. We don't have enough tests. We do have enough tests. This story will vanish. And what they tell you, what the press always tells you is, well, news is always bad news. And there's some truth to that, right? You don't cover, an, you know, people went to the shopping mall, but if there's an explosion at the shopping mall, you cover it. So news is usually bad news. I get it. However, in this case, it's always blame Trump news. And the minute we find out that Trump did a good job, and I think, I, I think that when this, when the smoke clears, we are going to see that conservatives did not support Trump enough. So conservatives did not talk enough about Trump's federalism. They didn't talk enough about his response. They didn't talk, they've been complaining constantly. Conservatives nothing. They're like they're like they used to say about the Jews of people who can't take yes for an answer. I mean, this has been an amazing thing that he has done, and it has exposed, as I keep saying, it has exposed um, abuses 
on the local level. And that, as Americans, is where we want our abuses. We want them on the local level if abuses are going to come. All right, we're going to talk in a, just a second about what's happening now, the reopening, which is really interesting. Uh, but first, let's talk about LifeLock, because I know I know you guys are stuck, some, some of you, in, at home. You're on the computer all the time. And this has sparked a massive increase in the number of cyber crime complaints flowing into the FBI. The FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, which typically receives about 1,000 complaints per day before the pandemic, is now receiving 3,000 to 4,000 per day. Coronavirus-related schemes include domain names, spoofing personal prote- protective equipment vendors, scams promising government checks, and fraudulent COVID charities. I have gotten hit by a couple of these. I'm not paying attention to them, but I've gotten calls and things and things on the internet telling me, oh, well, we've got this cure or that cure. Every day, we put our information at risk on the internet and cyber criminals keep finding new ways to steal identities. That's a good thing. There's LifeLock. LifeLock is a leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert and you will have a dedicated restoration specialist for your case should you become a victim. That's a big deal. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own if you're just monitoring monitoring your credit. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's lifelock.com slash Clavin for 25% off. And do not let anybody steal the sacred information of how you spell Clavin. Well, don't just put it out there, man. I mean, come on. All right. People are coming out. This is the other thing. This is the other thing. When I tell you tomorrow news, tomorrow's news today, I told you that as much as we complain about People like Bill de Blasio in New York, who is a jerk, and uh, Eric Garcetti in L.A., who is a jerk, who's saying we got to close till July. And uh, Bill de Blasio is saying anybody who goes in the water at the beach is going to be arrested because water is bad or something. You know, and and obviously that Gretchen Whitmer in in, uh, Michigan, who is just a fascist. I told you people are going to come out anyway. They're going to come out anyway, and they're going to open their businesses, and the cops are going to stop. You know, there's a wonderful speech today by the cop in San Jose, I think, saying, look, you know, you're letting criminals out, and you expect me to go arrest people for saying good morning to each other. That's not going to happen, right? In New York, uh, according to the New York Post, lockdown-weary New Yorkers ditched the distancing to get social instead this weekend, transforming parts of the Big Apple into a raucous late-season Mardi Gras. The people know what the uh, officials don't want us to know. I mean, and, and Peter Navarro, uh, the president's uh, advisor, had this line about California. In California, they really are showing their colors. And uh, this is what he says is cut nine. I report directly to the president. I'm, I'm one of the top vi- uh, vi- five advisors on policy. I let the president speak for himself. Uh, that's all I can say. I, I do think that what we're seeing here across this country in terms of di- different responses, that it is very useful to leverage local control. But on the other hand, I'm a Californian, and when I see the mayor of Los Angeles want to lock down uh, that city through the end of July, I just got to have to scratch my head. I, I think that a California, that's the only way I see California ever becoming a red state, because my folks back in Orange County are not going to put up with that kind of nonsense. And it is nonsense. I mean, this is the thing. Democrats are going to catch on to this. The country is coming back. The economy is starting to come back a little. The country is coming back. People are reopening. 
People are going to reopen. The Democrats are clawing to this thing. They're holding on to this balloon. They don't want it to take off. They do not want America to come back because then Trump will get the credit that he deserves. And Trump deserves the credit. And again, I keep saying this, but like he was right about China. He was right about borders. He was right about globalization. All of that has come into play during this Chinese panic. And and I think that, you know, again, he deserves the credit for that. They do not want this to come back, but people are going to bring it back. And listen to the way there's a piece in The Spectator, Robert Stacey McCain, the, the way they've been reporting, for instance, on uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp when he announced he would begin reopening the state's economy. An April 21st headline in the week denounced Kemp's reckless experiment. MSNBC bemoaned uh, Kemp's dangerous gamble. Dana Milbank, always uh, a good source of leftist nonsense. Uh, Dana Milbank of the Washington Post declared public health experts fear coronavirus will burn through Georgia like nothing has since Sherman. The Atlantic's Amanda Mull went so far as to call Kemp's move an experiment in human sacrifice. Perhaps the most memorable media condemnation, I saw this, was from Ron Fournier, former Washington bureau chief of the Associated Press, who proclaimed on Twitter when Twitter when Kemp reopened the state. He said, mark this day because two and three weeks from now, the Georgia death toll is blood on his hands. And as Georgians move around the country, they'll spread more death and economic destruction. And everyone marked the day and two or three weeks went by. And the uh, rate in Georgia has not uh, been catastrophic in any way whatsoever. Uh, somebody wrote a column uh, at, at PJ Media, Dear Media, Governor Kemp will accept your apology now. Well, don't hold your breath. But remember, remember, right? That's that's the thing. And the, the thing is, and McCain makes this point, Georgia is not going to spread the virus to other places. The virus, the virus spreads in dense places like New York. It spreads in big cities, and then people in New York travel. And the New York Times has written an article about this, that most of the spread of the Chinese virus came from New York, right? Maybe we should call it the New York virus. Most of it came from people in New York City who travel a lot, and they were in a densely packed area, and they spread the plague. Look, you, you can go back into the 15, 14th century and look at the plague, and everybody leaves the cities, right? Everybody gets out of the cities. That's what the Decameron is about, is people leaving the city and going off and telling stories while the plague uh, kills off everyone in the city. That, it's not going to happen. From Georgia, the people from Georgia are going to spread the plague all around. So it was nonsense to begin with. And of course he should open up and all this stuff. But just remember, remember who is holding onto the balloon, who doesn't want it to take off. You know, Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff of, um, of Barack Obama, Obamagate, Obamagate, is that his name? Um, Rahm Emanuel, he's a smart political operative, right? He's not a dumb guy. And he's been mayor, he was mayor of Chicago for a while. That wasn't that smart, but he's, he's not a dumb guy. And he's starting to worry just that, that what Navarro said is true, that these guys are going to be caught out doing what the public does not want to do. These polls that kept saying 68% of America wants to stay home forever. Those are nonsense polls. You know, those are polls that change the minute things open up and the minute people start to feel, well, we can do this. And the minute they stop getting Jake Tapper type information and start getting real information. Here's Rahm Emanuel talking about this cut 16. On the Democratic side, I'm messaging. We look a little too much messaging, too much about resistance, about reopening, too much about reluctance about reopening. And we should go to a message of rebuilding America to if the president wants to talk about reopening, we want to talk about rebuilding America and the relief. Let's take the unemployed. If you're unemployed in the service sector, JCPenney, some of these others, those jobs aren't coming back. So we're going to give you a coupon. Go become a computer coder in six months. We'll pay for it. 
You don't have to pay a penny out of your pocket. <laughs> of course, you know, Newt Gingrich once said that, that the left wakes up every morning and they know the answer is big government, but they just don't know what the question is yet. So, uh, but, but at least, but at least that's a positive message. I got, I'm going to give him credit for this. At least, you know, it's, it's a leftist message. The government's got to fix everything. The government's got to do everything. I mean, I think once they open this economy up, I think Trump is right. You know, he's been right so often. I think he's right. I think it'll just come roaring back. I think there's going to be people who've been hurt. There are going to be people who died. You know, you know, it is, is amazing. I don't remember her name. There was a reporter who attacked Trump for not wearing a mask, and then she was caught off camera pulling her mask off the minute she was thought she was off camera. And when she was challenged by this, she said, 90,000 people are dead, and you're talking about my mask. Well, you know, 90,000 people are going to be dead whether you're a hypocrite or not. 90,000 people are going to be dead. That has nothing to, you know, Trump didn't start this. The Chinese started it. Trump, it's not Trump's fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the Democrats' fault that it's spread. It's a question of how you behave. And you got, you got to remember, what are the things we've learned? What have we learned? We've learned who panics and who stays calm. We've learned who's negative and who's positive. We've learned who who looks at things honestly bo- on both sides of the story, who says, you know, yeah, this is the, the principle here is the same, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. Those are the things we got to remember. This Tara Reid thing that I've been hammering and hammering and hammering away, why? Because it teaches us who's who. When you say, when first of all you say, oh, you know, me too, me too, we've got to believe all women. And then it's like, yeah, but we're not believing Tara Reid. And then you tell us you played it fair both ways. You know, I'm sorry, but you're a liar. That's You're not somebody we trust anymore. When you tell us uh, Watergate, you know, remember I always call Carl Bernstein, Carl, it's worse than Watergate Bernstein because everything is worse than Watergate. Suddenly Obamagate is a hoax. It's a conspiracy theory. These are the things you have to remember. And I think right now, right now what we're seeing is this, this country is opening up and this country is coming back. This economy was shut down. It was not destroyed, right? It wasn't because of an inherent flaw in the the economy that it collapsed. It was shut down because they saw a, a pandemic coming and they thought this is the way we should deal with this. There are people who said that wasn't the way we should deal with this, and I haven't made a judgment yet about whether they're right or not. I don't know. We may never know whether they were right or not, but that's not the point. That's not the point. This is what all the leaders of the world thought was right to do. So, you know, I'm fine. If they made a mistake, they'll know better next time. This was a first-time deal. That's not the problem. Again, that's not the problem. It's who panicked, who was negative, who said there's a way through, who looked for that way through, and who did the right things. And we're not going to go down the memory hole. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're going to remember this, and we're going to remember it in November and beyond November. And pay attention to who doesn't want you to remember. All right. Let us talk about Ring because we love Ring because now we're at home. We want to be able to see our home. We want to be able to see who's coming, who's delivering stuff, who's coming to take our deliveries away. Dave Rubin has been complaining that people are stealing stuff from outside his house. And he knows because I happen to know this because when I went over to do a show, he has uh, he had a Ring doorbell. He had a Ring doorbell so he could see outside. You can see what's going on around your house and you can talk to anybody who comes. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Their home security products are designed to give you peace of mind around the clock. Video doorbells, security cameras, and smart security lighting and alarm systems. Ring has everything you need to make sure your family and belongings are safe 
and secure. Their video doorbells let you answer the door and check in your home any, at your home anytime. The smart lighting brightens up blind spots. Their outdoor security cameras may, let you check on every part of your house and property and never miss a moment. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Clavin. The Welcome Kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin, and anyone comes near your house, ask them, how do you spell Clavin? And if they don't know, sing this little ditty. Just sing that song to them, and it'll straighten everything out. Now, I know we've been talking about death and destruction and shutdown and poverty and depression, but let's talk about something serious, the all-access double tumbler promo. Because if you get the all-access membership, you will get two, count them, two, one, two, leftist tears. Tumblers, they're solid gold. They're encrusted with diamonds. And unlike other solid gold diamond encrusted tumblers, they are not solid gold or encrusted with diamonds. Uh, You get all the great stuff, our interactive programming. You get all the benefits of other membership tiers, including an ad-free website experience, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, access to the mailbag so all your problems are solved, and the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, along with dedicated editorials from me and Ben and everybody else. Listen, Here's the thing, though. When I said this was serious, you got to do this in my name or Knowles is going to get more subscriptions than I do and I'll have to kill him. You don't want Knowles to die. Do you want Knowles to die? I mean, come on. All right. Well, maybe you do, but you don't really. I mean, really, not really. But so you want to go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, join all access and you get 15 percent off with coupon code Claven. If you use the coupon code Knowles, it's 15 percent more. It's 30 percent more. They just charge you forever. They'll just send you bills if you use Knowles. But if you use my name, Claven, you get 15 percent off the, the Daily Wire uh, all access member plus your Two tumblers. So it's dailywire.com slash subscribe code Claven. I don't know how you spell that, but you'll figure it out. There are no come, over to, <laughs> come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. All right, let's talk about Barack Obama. Barack Obama is nervous. Barack Obama is nervous. Remember how George W. Bush just kept his mouth shut during the Obama administration, never said anything. Anybody asked him about him, he said, yeah, it's hard. Being president, it's hard. You know, like he never said a word. Barack Obama is nervous. Obamagate is about to destroy his reputation. I'm telling you, this thing is coming down the pike. And listen, don't think Obama is going to jail. Don't think that Brennan or Clapper are going to jail. I think that there is some small chance Peter Strzok may be arrested for some of this stuff. Uh, but it's not going to be. I, I think even Bill Barr today said it's not going to be like big arrests. That's not the point. But the truth will come out. The truth will come out. And I think he's getting nervous. So he gave this speech uh, that was supposed to be a uh, commencement speech for high school students. And here's the line that everybody is pulling out as an attack on Donald Trump. This pandemic has shaken up the status quo and laid bare a lot of our country's deep-seated problems, from massive economic inequality to ongoing racial disparities to a lack of basic health care for people who need it. It's woken a lot of young people up to the fact that the old ways of doing things just don't work, that it doesn't matter how much money you make if everyone around you is hungry and sick, And that our society and our democracy only work when we think not just about ourselves, but about each other. 
it's also pulled the curtain back on another hard truth, something that we all have to eventually accept once our childhood comes to an end. You know, all those adults that you used to think were in charge and knew what they were doing, turns out they don't have all the answers. A lot of them aren't even asking the right questions. Ooh, you suck. <laughs> Here is Trump's response. I think it was only fair to let Trump make his response. Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank you. He was a grossly incompetent president. He sat on our economy for ten year, for eight years. Uh, he let the Middle East catch fire. He regulated business into the dirt. He really, he, he was constantly, it was a depressing presence. He was constantly apologizing to, to tyrants for America. Uh, he was a lousy president. He was really bad at what he did. And now it turns out that not only, not only did he uh, inflame racial tensions to hide his failures, uh, not only did he use the IRS, to silence voters who opposed him. But it looks like he may have, he certainly set up Michael Flynn. He certainly knew about that and he let that happen. And he may have done even worse and much more. And that's going to come out and that's why he's nervous. So, but let's let's be fair. He's, he doesn't like the, the response to the virus. He says the virus has exposed the fact that some people are not in charge. But Joe Biden, you know, is running is presu- presumably is his vice president and his nominee. So let's find out what uh, what Biden thinks about the pandemic. This is cut three. This is not a moment for excuses or deflections or blame game. We're 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 we're, it's, it's, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than eighty five thousand jobs as of today, lives of millions of people, millions of people, millions of jobs, you know. And we're in a position where you know we just got new unemployment insurance this morning uh, n- numbers, thirty six five million claims since this crisis began. A good job, Joe. <laughs> It's like it's thousands, it's millions, it's billions, it's four, it's five, it's 34. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But here's my I just have to play this cut. I play this cut for absolutely no reason, but that it makes me laugh. This is cut four. He was doing one of those town halls where they have videotaped questions and a videotape of a man. uh, He's asking him a question was played for Joe Biden. Here's here it is. This first question, Mr. Vice President, is from a voter in California. Let's listen to this. Okay. Hi, Vice President Biden. My name is Navid. Hi. I am from San Mateo, California. And thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this town hall with you. I'm thank you thinking about that. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> He's talking to the videotape. <laughs> He's talking. Oh, man. So, so the country's in the best of hands. And so when, when Barack Obama says, you know, that this virus has exposed the fact that some people uh, don't know what's going on, don't even know the right answers or the right questions, some people don't even know that the person asking the questions uh, isn't real. Um, so here is the press. Let's give the press's obviously predictable reaction to this speech. This is from NBC. What we see now is President Obama really getting into general election territory and starting to gear up the the might of the Obama name. He is ready for this fight. He was at first caught really on a private call talking to staffers, and he was trying to get them excited about Joe Biden, saying that President Trump's um, response to the coronavirus was a chaotic disaster. That was, of course, President Obama's direct word. So what you see there is President Obama coming to the defense of his vice president and coming to his own defense without actually directly 
exactly talking about this conspiracy theory that President Trump is now talking about, which is whether or not President Trump broke some, or President Obama broke some sort of law. And Peter Alexander, I, I, you know, one thing about President Trump, some people overread his what he does as strategy, but I think some people um, under look at some of his moves about strategy. He seems to be wanting to make Obama as polarizing as he possibly can. He clearly seems to be nervous that Obama could be an effective surrogate for Biden. Yeah, I like the fact that that Trump strikes back against Obama attacking him and it's Trump's fault. You know, Trump is nervous. Trump is. So I like also Yamish Alcindor from PBS, the active leftist activist on PBS uh, who pretends she's a journalist talking about the might of Obama's name, the might of Obama's name. The might of Obama's name is that Obama might have been, been responsible for the biggest political scandal uh, in American history, but the press is literally going to cover it up. They're going to try to cover it up. And this is going back to the theme of the memory hole, all right? This is really important because I think they're being very short-sighted. You know, the New York Times reporter Charlie Savage uh, tweeted that this unmasking, remember they found that all these people had, including Joe Biden, had unmasked uh, Michael Flynn and Andy McCarthy saying they might not even have masked Flynn on some of his calls on, on his call to the Russian ambassador. They might not even have actually done the thing that they're supposed to legally do. And so everybody's saying this is normal. It's normal. It's, it's, there's nothing to see here. Tucker Carlson pointed out that when John Bolton was nominated for UN ambassador, and remember they wanted to stop that at all costs, uh, the New York Times attacked him for making 10 unmasking requests over a four-year period. We're talking about these guys were making thousands of unmasking requests, and one of them was Joe Biden, who had no reason to. When, when John Bolton was up, Joe Biden attacked him for having made these unmasking requests. Here's Biden from that. I'm even more concerned about the failure of the committee to receive information relating to Mr. Bolton's request for NSA information and to identify U.S. persons that he wanted to know in those intercepts. It has been alleged, as I said, that Mr. Bolton has been spying on rivals within the bureaucracy, both inferior and superior to him. While I doubt this, as I've said publicly before, we have a duty to be sure that he did not misuse this data. So now we know that Biden was actually doing this. We know he was doing this and there can't possibly have been any reason for him to do it. It wasn't in, on a committee. He wasn't investigating anything. He was eight days from leaving office. So there's no reason for doing this. And yet reporters, journalists are going to cover this up. They're going to pretend it didn't happen. Here is Jake Tapper once again trying to do this with Senator Ron Johnson, who won't let it happen. What exactly are you alleging uh, by the Obama administration? Because I have yet to see any facts at all uh, supporting this grand conspiracy that the Trump administration is pushing? Well, well, Jake, it's because a lot of members of the media haven't been asking the questions, haven't been looking. You know, let's face it, uh, there, were, there were selective leaks. They ramped up this entire Russian collusion hoax, and it was a hoax. And who's the recipients of these leaks? It was members I don't know of the what media, you mean about, 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 hoax, 18, though, about 18 different because outlets. There, what I, what I, what I'd love to see is I'd like to see members. I would like to see members of the press actually start looking into all these leaks and how this story got spun up that resulted in a special counsel and put this country through about three years so, of, of a Senator, mini constitutional crisis. That's what I'd like to see, Senator. It's it's not a hoax that the Russians attempted to interfere in the 2016 election. Yes, they, you they, know that. They, it's they not did, a hoax. They, they put Russian disinformation into the Steele dossier that was bought and paid for through cutouts now, for the they, Hillary Clinton campaign. That is what we found out, Jake. Sir, you got to look at the evidence. 
This is Jake Tapper saying it's not a hoax. That's that's not the hoax. The Russians always tamper with our elections. I'm sure we tamper with those. Those, That's not the hoax. The hoax was that Donald Trump colluded with them and they sold it for two and a half years. And Jake Tapper is making a very, very big mistake. And I'll tell you why. The cover-up is worse than the crime. They invented that for Nixon because they knew they didn't have a crime. And they wanted to get him out of office. So when he tried to cover it up, they said the cover-up is worse than the crime. And that's how they forced him out of office with the cover-up. This stuff is going to come out. John Durham is going to file his report. They can play it down as much as they want, but it's going to come out. And if we will remember, we will remember who covered up. And if it's the press, we will remember. And, and I don't know if anybody's watching CNN. The airports are virtually empty, so I don't know who would be watching them. But what is Jake Tapper doing with his reputation? What is he doing? He had a decent reputation. What is he doing with it? You know, this is the, the Russian collusion was a hoax. And this is this is a scandal. All right. A final reflection. I got to talk about this. I finished the uh, the Woody Allen um, autobiography, his memoir uh, called Apropos of Nothing. And it's terrific. I, it is a, incredibly entertaining, uh, really endearing in a funny way. I'm not a big Woody Allen fan. I'm not a big Woody Allen fan. But because I was uh, reading this, I did sort of think back over Woody Allen's work. And I've always felt his first book of New, York, uh, New Yorker articles, Getting Even, is one of the funniest books ever written by an American. Uh, you know, it's, it is it maybe the funniest book ever written by an American. I can still look at it. It's, it's got to be 40, 50 years old. I can still look at it and it's still funny. It's still really good. The other thing that Woody Allen did that I think is a a work of art, because I, I never thought he made a great movie. And he says he never made a great movie. Uh, he's kind of being humble, not humble when he does that. But I but I think he's right. I don't think he's ever made a great movie. His best movie is probably Matchpoint. Uh, but, you know, but the one thing he has done that is a work of art is create the Woody Allen persona. The Woody Allen persona, like Charlie Chaplin's Little Tramp, uh, like Sherlock Holmes, uh, is greater than the art that is contained in. The Woody Allen persona did say something about our times. It did say something about New York. It did say something about the neurosis of elites. When you read the op-ed page of the New York Times, Knucklehead Row, as I call it, it is like reading Woody Allen, people just worrying about every little thing and people always afraid and always negative. It, that it, Woody Allen could be writing the op-ed page. So that is actually a work of art. And I think this memoir is great. Did he uh, molest his daughter? No, I, I'm almost certain he didn't. I mean, he was cleared by serious investigations and the people who didn't clear him really had an interest in the case in condemning him. Uh, Mia Farrow has a very, very strange background. And I think that I think they were lying about him. I think they were lying about what he did. But however, having said that, I have to tell you, Woody Allen may be the least self-aware human being I have ever seen. And I think one of the reasons he couldn't make a great movie but could create a great persona is because he is who he seems to be. He keeps complaining that people see him. He's not an intellectual, but he is kind of an intellectual. I mean, he's not a scholar, but he is an intellectual. Uh, he says, I'm not a nervous little man, but he is a nervous little man. He says he's an athlete. Okay, he's an athlete. I believe that. But, but still, he is this nervous little man, and he keeps throughout the entire book. He keeps saying, how could this happen to me? I didn't realize Mia Farrow was crazy. I didn't realize my first wife was uh, bipolar. I didn't, because I'm just such a normal guy. I had such a normal upbringing. I don't know why I'm so neurotic. He's a completely unself-aware person. When you get, when your second wife is crazy, 
When your first wife is crazy, maybe it's her. When your second wife is crazy, it's you, okay? And when you say, well, did he run off? He didn't run off with his stepdaughter. He didn't adopt her or anything like this. But of course, that's the wrong thing to do. Of course it is. Of course, you're sitting with a girl 30 years younger than you that you have some kind of, uh, you know, parental uh, relationship with. You don't make a pass at her. And he did. He did make the play for her. He's been married over 20 years. They have a happy marriage, according to him. So great. I'm glad it worked out. But this guy is is a mess. He is a mess. He's a very damaged guy. And he's an artist because he created this Woody Allen persona. And his book is just as entertaining as it can possibly be. And it's really just an interesting American story. One touching thing I just have to end with is he can't believe that the New York Times has attacked him repeatedly, even knowing that he's probably innocent. They, he can't believe that because he's an 84-year-old liberal who doesn't realize the New York Times is a former newspaper. And that's the amazing thing about liberals is they don't listen to the show. They don't listen to Ben. They don't listen to all the conservatives. They only listen to one another. And he can't understand why the New York Times is attacking him and slandering him because he doesn't realize it's run now by leftist feminists and they don't care about the truth. It's a really interesting thing. Apropos of nothing, it was canceled by the left and, I, and by Ronan Farrow and by a, a, a slur campaign against him. I think you should buy it for that reason alone. All right. I'll be back again tomorrow and I will talk to you then. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Furious at crazy left-wing COVID policies, Elon Musk takes the so-called red pill, prompting right-wingers to claim the Tesla boss is a conservative and left-wingers to call him a Nazi. They think everybody's a Nazi. Speaking of which, a left-wing Harvard professor praises Nazi education policies. The ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, comes out swinging against civil liberties, and the mainstream media get caught with their masks down. Red pills for everybody. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.